Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, want to know this week? Uh, want to know this week on two fronts. Not only is oh. Penn State want to know this week, but mm-hmm. my uh, soccer team won this morning 3-2. Uh, it was a big game for the Barceloners. Very proud of us. My uh, my soccer team drew 2-2, uh, but it, it came from a losing position in a place where they don't oftentimes do particularly well. So I'm in a good mood. I'm also in a good mood because Penn State, um, they put a whooping on Indiana this weekend. Nittany Lions uh, moved to 5-0 and on the season with a 24 to nothing win over Indiana. Uh, The story of the game was the performance by Penn State's defense. Uh, Indiana had 264 yards of total offense, and I have to believe 75% of that came on three or four plays. 12 first downs, three for 14 on second down, uh, on third downs, a trio of penalties, uh, two turnovers, just everything went right for Penn State, it seemed, Matt. Uh, I know there are some gripes and some quibbles that we will dive into, but despite the fact that I think you probably associate this phrase more with, you know, a 35 or more point win, I thought that was a pretty comprehensive ass kicking by the Lions. Yeah, this is what I would describe as a very boring blowout. It never felt close. 24 points just doesn't feel like a lot weirdly enough but that's mm-hmm. four scores like this was just a it was a tremendously mundane ass kicking and and that's really what I was looking for this week so it delivered uh, i they looked kind of sluggish at certain points the offense especially um but the defense played i would argue maybe the best game of Brent Price's tenure they were absolutely unreal uh this secondary is impossibly good and Arnold Abichetti is an absolute superstar um but yeah as as much as it can be this is just a a very boring way to kick off October uh in the best possible way I I think I agree I mean I I thought coming into this game we were going to see it's actually funny I I ended up predicting I think 31-13 for this one and that ended up actually being a little too generous, which I didn't see coming. Penn State very comfortably covered the the spread, which ended at around 13 and a half. Uh, under hit, under hit by a whole hell of a lot. Uh, but my entire thought coming into this game was we were going to see a Penn State team that, despite everything James Franklin said about wanting to beat this Indiana team, not thinking about last year, blah, 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 blah. I think we saw a Penn State team that played with a little bit of an extra edge after what happened in last year's game against Indiana. I mean, Indiana's defense is still quite good. They're still quite well schemed. We'll get into that stuff in a bit, Matt. But I think the place we need to start with this game is just talking about Penn State's defense. Like we mentioned, the numbers are all there, but I don't think that even laying out how impressive those numbers are, they really put into context just the level of hell that both Michael Penix Jr. and Jack Tuttle seemed like they were in while playing quarterback. Indiana, of course, they just lost uh, DJ Matthews, their number two wide receiver, but Indiana couldn't consistently get anything going through the air. They couldn't get anything going on the ground at any point. 24 carries, 69 yards, 2.9 yards per carry. Uh, 
21 of those yards came on two carries. Just everything worked for Penn State's defense. And what I think I want to start with is just talking about how on God's green earth are they able to put up these kinds of performances? Because even the most pessimistic Penn State fan probably has to sit there and go, listen, through five weeks, we're watching something really special. I think it all comes back to the secondary being absolutely unreal. Like Joey Porter Jr., very happy he finally got that first career pick. Uh, TCF is still doesn't look like the player he used to look like when he was younger and healthier, but still a good option. And then the safeties, uh, Jaquan Brisker and Jair Brown are all unbelievably talented. And when you have dudes like that in your secondary, you can be a lot more risky and you can be a lot more creative with what you do up front because you can take risks knowing that those guys on the back end are gonna hold things down so it's a very you know unique way it's very different than what we're used to seeing at a Penn State usually I feel like we're used to seeing you know 40 sack seasons and that one superstar linebacker who's out here just making every tackle at the line of scrimmage but like Penn State's leading tackler in terms of solo individual tackles uh, this week was P.J. Mustafer with four. Like Ellis uh, Brooks and Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs, the starting linebackers, each had two solo tackles each. Like it's not one dude doing it. And I think that all comes back to they can scheme to so many different guys because the secondary is so good that they can just get away with so much more than we're used to. So it's a huge luxury that not a lot of teams have and not a lot of Penn State teams have had. Uh, so I'm just trying to enjoy it as much as I can. Th- this team is so fun. And I just love the fact that, like, I can't even count how many people are in the box score here. Like, there are 50 tackles. It looks like there could be as many as 20 dudes who logged at least one tackle. And that's that's awesome. That's super fun. And, and, and that's just great for building experience and building confidence as, you know, the conference schedule really heats up here in the coming weeks. Uh, I just counted. It is 20 on the nose, but, Oh, really? But, oh, but, me. but, 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 but one of them was cave on. Lee after Sean Clifford's interception. So we'll give you, we will give you 19. And uh, otherwise it's a very admirable, like it was a very admirable performance by you. I do have to say that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm trying to think of if I remember, did Lee like destroy him on the tackle? Was it cool? When I was watching him run, we'll get into this later, but Kayvon Lee looks like a middle linebacker running the football. Like there was that 44 yard run. I think it was that he ripped off and his legs look bigger than Saquon's. Uh, maybe it's because he's probably like 25 pounds heavier, but he, he seems like he would be a very fun linebacker if that ever came up. <laughs> I, uh, I actually have the video of just highlights from the game up in front of me. And uh, I think – we'll put it this way. I think crediting that as a tackle to Kayvon Lee was probably a bit generous. Uh, he more or less touches uh, Raheem Lane, who picked off Sean Clifford. And, you know, Lane, like, stepped out of bounds after that. So that was a – not, not, neither here nor there. I, what, I, what I'm basically going to say is that I think you are – I think you're right about the secondary and how it does a really nice job just taking options away from the quarterback. Both of the safeties are playing fantastic football, seemingly every single snap. Like I – Jair Brown has – I mean he's been – 
obviously a uh, a, a revelation, but and Jaquan Brisker just hasn't put a foot wrong all season. And he kind of put those two things together that you're not going to get a ton of big plays against this Penn State's defense when they have that last line of defense. And even when they don't have them going in, you know, cover two, cover one, anything like that, both of them are very capable in manning dudes up. And then you look across the cornerback rotation. We know how good Joey Porter Jr. is. Tariq Castro fields. I, I Porter allowed one like big game to tie Fry Fogel. That was on like a purposeful underthrow that Fry Fogel basically just came back on and fielded a punt more or less. Uh, and then, also, that, that's a really good job by yeah. Porter to limit Fry Fogel to just one because he's really good. He's he's a an exceptional football player. And then uh, Tariq Castro fields got burned on one. It was just like a little double move. I think he bit he bit on it and Penix was able to get into his man, but. Those two and what they give you at corners and Daquan Hardy and the job he has done as the slot corner. There was a moment, I think, on the maybe the first or second drive of that game where he was on uh, Peyton Hendershot, the very good tight end for Indiana, and pulling up their, uh, their measurables right here because I think this is very important. Uh, Hendershot is 6'4 and 254. Hardy is 5'9 and 180. And I said, I'm worried because I think Hardy might be in for a long night with what Hendershot could do for him. He just battled wherever they put him. He battled. You're able to, when you're able to take away that kind of stuff, it makes, and you have a group of linebackers who are just so good at reading and reacting and getting to areas. It speeds the quarterback up a little bit before we even get to something like the pass rush, which Penn State only had two sacks on the night. Uh, one of them was Michael Penix on a passing play. I think tucking and running in, I think it was the play I heard on Brandon Smith just came up and got him, but four tackles for a loss, three quarterback hurries, even though those numbers are a little more meager than I think we probably think off the top of our heads, Penn state still seemed like it was really speeding Michael Penix and Jack Tuttle up because there was no place for them to throw and they were able to make things uncomfortable for them in the pocket, even when they weren't registering hurry. So I'm glad that you mentioned the secondary as a major source for it. But to me, it's one of those things where there's just not a real weak point on Penn State's defense. Like we were wor- once we learned Adisa Isaac was going to be hurt, we worried about the defensive end rotation. Well, Arnold Abiketti has been fantastic. Jesse Lucchetta has been fantastic. Uh, whomever they put out there, Nick Tarber has been quite good when he's getting out onto the field and being asked to do stuff. Just all these guys contributing in that defensive tackle, Derek Tangelo and PJ Mustafer are winning seemingly every time in the middle of that line of scrimmage. So it's same all, thing. Same thing yeah. for Devon Ellis. I thought he played great last night too. Devon Ellis is, he's a guy who, I would not be surprised if by the start of the season, Penn State, in terms of just how they allocate snaps out, has three starting defensive tackles more. Like even if it's uh, even if it's Tangelo and Mustafer starting games, I would not be surprised if Ellis is right there with them in terms of the number of times he's out on the field because he's just that dang good. And I thought they just did such a good job making everything Indiana look tried to do look difficult, Matt. And that kind of leads into a question that I think you need to ask in those situations where 12 first downs, three for 14 on third down, 264 total yards, 195 passing, 69 rushing, pair of turnovers. 
Do you think more of this was just whatever Penn State's offense, what I mean, Penn State's defense was doing? Or do you think this is just a matter of, oh man, that Indiana offense is rough? This is this is a tough question because Michael Penix is hurt. So that clearly affects a lot of things. He's not the player he was, and that's a major bummer because he is a he is a very fun player and he was great for the Indiana football program. And it's it's really a shame to watch how his career has kind of shaken out in, in and the last I, few years. And I kinda of hate saying this, but we'll get to it. There's a guy on Penn State's offense who I think is in kind of the same boat. But we'll get there when we get there. Please continue. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think a lot of it is that I think it's hard to kind of change what you want to do if you're Indiana in the middle of the season, um, especially one that's not going as well as you'd hope for. Um, I still think that Indiana might finish last in the East, which is a crazy thing to say, uh, considering where they were last year. Um, but but then Penn State's defense is very good. Like this is probably a top three unit. Uh, it's definitely behind Georgia. Um, but then outside of that, it's probably like Iowa or maybe like some group of five team is playing a ridiculous season so far that I can't think of offhand. But it, I think it's just a weird combination of both. Like, I, I'd be lying if I said if Penix was healthy, I think this would have been a shutout. They would have put up points if Penix was healthy or if they knew like the Indiana coaching staff knew what they had in Penix right now and they could game plan accordingly. I think. He wants to play things out, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. I think Panix has earned that right uh, with how much he's done for that program. But it's just a weird mix, and I think it all came together in this really, really unfortunate chaotic storm for Indiana that led them uh, to be shut out for the first time in like over two decades, I think it was. So what I will say is that I think you were very much correct. I thought Indiana... I'm not stunned by their passing offense because just because like I've watched them this year. I know what Penix has looked like. You know, like you mentioned, it is really sad. Tuttle, when he came in, was he, great whatever, quarterback name. Great quarterback. Jack, Jack, Jack Tuttle is phenomenal. Well, well, there was this really fun moment where uh, Sean McDonough said, uh, we were uh, we were talking to the office coordinator and he said, listen, we think we got the best backup quarterback in all the Big Ten. And I just wanted to, like, jump through the TV and go, like, Sean, what the hell did you think he was? Did you think he was going to say that, like, if he got into the football game, it was going to be the end of Indiana football as we know it? But neither here nor there. Like, I thought he kept doing this thing. And my guess is this is a, a lack of experience thing, uh, you know, just kind of being frightened by the situation he was thrown into where he just did not seem like he was all that interested in trying to get out of the pocket. Um, even when Penn state was like swarming him, it, it was just very weird to watch, but I wasn't surprised by what we saw out of the passing offense. Uh, it was Hendershot. It was Fry Fogle and, you know, spot insane and pray for rain is the baseball one. I don't know. Uh, Hendershot and Fry Fogel and hope you don't turn it over. Like we'll, we'll workshop that one, I guess. But I was a little bit surprised at Indiana's complete and total inability to run the football at all. Um, Stephen Carr hasn't been particularly great against power five competition this year, but even considering how good Penn state's rushing defense is, I figured they would maybe be able to get a little something. And Penn state did a great job taking that away from them. I mean, you look at basically, all the numbers that we have at our disposal, 
Penn State's the number five defense in the country per defensive SP+. Uh, the uh, Twitter account uh, SportsSource Analytics uh, sent out a tweet that said uh, opponents are having to run 11.6 plays per every point scored against Georgia's defense. The next best is Penn State at 6.5. And on one hand, yes, that shows how incredible Georgia's defense is. But two, having to put points up against Penn State is turning into this absolutely brutal task for other things. Like every single person on that Indiana def- offense looked like it was just com- they were completely overwhelmed by the moment. And that's just been something that we've seen basically all season out of this Penn State defense. We saw it uh, with Graham Mertz having his first of four meltdowns that he has had this season with Wisconsin. Ball State's offense couldn't get much of anything. Villanova's offense couldn't get anything against Penn State's ones. Auburn, I mean, we saw what happens when Bo Nix is able to get into a groove this week. They were able to go into the impenetrable Death Valley uh, and win a football game. And Penn State held them to 20 points and not a whole hell of a lot of yards. So it's becoming clearer and clearer by the week, Matt, that this is a special Penn State defense, that this is a defense that I feel like they have, you know, you look at like Iowa's defense and how dependent they are. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing because Iowa's outstanding at this how dependent Iowa's defense is on turning you over. And I don't feel like we've seen Penn State necessarily going for ball hawk stuff this year, going for those sorts of game-changing plays because they just have the trust that their defense is going to be able to win every single time out there. And when I think about whether or not this is sustainable, the only question that I really have in terms of sustainability stems from the fact that their schedule gets exceptionally difficult over the last two months of the year. But I think if they can stay healthy and if they can keep their wits about him, they're going to allow points to Ohio State. They're going to allow points probably to Michigan and maybe to Michigan State. Uh, you know, Maybe Maryland's able to put some points on them. But like, I think this defense is just going to be elite for the entirety of the college football season. I think we can comfortably say that is going to happen based on what we've seen the first five weeks of the season. It's hard to tell. Um, it is insane that in their uh, the final seven games of the regular season, Penn State, uh, in four of them, is going to play a team ranked in the top 12. Um, that is absolutely ridiculous. And shout out to Michigan State for being very good um, and to Michigan for being very good as well. That's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's not something I was hoping for, and I'm very I sad am, about it. I am confident that things will take them, will sort themselves out over the next couple of weeks. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. Um, but as for the um, sustainability of it all, I, I just don't know. This is such a ridiculously high level to be playing at. Um, you, you rattled off a lot of those teams. Um, their offenses don't really scare me. Um, no disrespect to Spencer Petras, but I don't really think he's that good. Um, I think he's, like, better Graham Mertz. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, he hasn't really played anybody yet. And I saw he was sacked three times against Colorado State. Um, and that, granted, that's just like a, it could be a flash in the pan. Um, but also Steve Adazio is a head coach in 2021. How funny is that? Um, Maryland, I don't really know if they're actually good or if that was just September Maryland and now they come back down to earth. It was, uh, it was, it was, it, it was September Maryland. 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, I still think Michigan State's offense is terrible, but that just scares me even more that Penn State might lose that game. Um, and Michigan can't really throw. Uh, and then there's Illinois in there, too, and go Illini. Um, but you know, you know how Illinois works at this point. So yeah, really, real, real quick, I just want to, like, total aside, I just want to mention something I just saw. How many tackles for a loss do you think Maryland had against Iowa last week? Oh, I'm guessing it's going to be high. I'm going to say seven. They had nine tackles for wow. Wales. Wow. Oh, AK is going to eat this week. We're, we're, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it a little bit later in this podcast. Wow. Interesting. Okay. All right. Um, but no, it, it, granted, all right, everybody I just named is not that scary of an offense. I think Ohio State is really starting to figure things out. And that's no fun because it was way funnier when they were being bad against Tulsa. Um, but it's just so hard for a defense to play at this high of a level for an entire season. Uh, thankfully they, they seem very healthy right now. Um, their opponents have not been, uh, world beaters, but the way things stand right now, I think it's realistic to expect this will finish as like a top seven or top eight unit. I don't think it can finish in the top three, uh, but I hope it can be proven wrong. Uh, that would make things a lot more interesting, um, as we get closer to bowl season. A big thing for me is that as long as they stay healthy, there are a lot of guys who I think have room to, I don't know if improve is necessarily the right word as the season goes along, but you just go through Penn State's roster. Like Brandon Smith and Curtis Jacobs, I feel like they can still get better by playing more football. Arnold Ebiketti is going to continue to figure out the speed and everything that needs to happen at this level of college football. Jesse Lukita is going to continue to figure out the position he's in. Jair Brown, I think, is kind of in uh, the same boat as a guy like Brandon Smith. Uh, Devon Ellis is going to get better. Daquan Hardy is going to get better. Just oh, It's a lot. Derek Tangelo is going to uh, get a little bit more, I think, comfortable with playing in this sort of defense. So there is that sort of room for things to get better. And that's why I'm optimistic. Uh, the concern, like we mentioned, is just the way the schedule ramps up is going to be a lot to deal with. And I am very interested in how that happens, but I also don't like, I, it's just really hard for me to worry about anything on the defense. So long as people end up staying healthy, uh, I feel like that has not been the case with Penn State's offense, which I find pretty funny because I also think Penn State's offense did this week what a lot of Penn State fans wanted them to do. Uh, 408 yards of total offense, and yes, 199 yards of passing isn't a ton. They ran for 209 yards, five yards per carry. Uh, Kayvon Lee, eight carries, 74 yards. Sean Clifford, 10 for 58. John Lovett, 10 for 41. Noah Kane, 11 for 23. Devin Ford, one for 12. But I think we saw people start going in kind of the other direction, where the concern is now, mm, I don't know. Sean Clifford didn't look particularly stout against this Indiana defense. What are your thoughts on the offense from this game and as we've kind of seen it? Like, do you have any sort of concern about what we have seen out of the Nittany Lions through the first couple of weeks? 
Okay, I, I, I've alluded that I'm semi-concerned about the running game earlier. Now I'm full concerned. Um, I am full-on worried about this unit's ability to run, especially up the gut. Um, there were two plays around the goal line that made me very angry because I think they ran them because they know they cannot get a great push along the interior. And those plays were the Tyler Warren goal line package. It's very fun. They use it a lot. Um, once a game is way more than I expected, sometimes twice a game. And when it doesn't work, it, it, it fails miserably. And there was the very weird looking mini huddle behind Clifford between, I think, Brenton Strange, Devin Ford, and Kayvon Lee. And I think that's a gadget they have to do because they do not feel like they can just give it to Kayvon Lee and say, go right up the middle. I do not think that this interior with the combination of Eric Wilson, Mike Miranda, and Juice Scruggs is working out in the best way it could. And that's cause for concern. They don't have to run it all the time. Um, that's not something you need in 2021 in college football. A lot of teams get by without having any kind of running game at all. They do not go as far as this Penn State team is hoping to go. So they need to figure some things out. I don't know if that means shuffling things around a little bit. I don't know if that means trying Scruggs at center and Miranda at guard. Miranda was a good guard. I think he's a better guard than he is a center. Um, but if, if that's what the staff thinks his best option is right now is stay at center, I'm not in that room, so I can't speak to that. So there's there's things that have to be fixed. Um Again, this was a very boring game, uh, I think, by design. Uh, once you're up and it's clear you're in control, I'm of the belief that you take your foot off the gas as early as you can just to keep guys fresh and to not show things because bigger games are looming. So there's not a lot I'm concerned about, but the one thing I am concerned about is a major concern for me at this point. So the fact that they ran for 209 yards doesn't, like – alleviate your concerns or anything like you're just, just I mean like not trying to you know prod you or anything but I, I do find it interesting that after their most productive game running the football their most productive game running the football against a power five team that's uh that's where you're at yeah I hate ifs in, in sports like I hate people who say like well they would have won the game if they didn't hit that crazy field goal Justin Tucker um like I hate ifs because games happen with that being said if you take out the 44-yard gain from Kayvon Lee, and then I think he followed that up with a 21-yard one, and if you take out the Sean Clifford scrambles, because a lot of his yardage did come on really smart decisions by him to just tuck the ball and run, this probably looks more like 130 in terms of rushing yardage. Um if I were to take a bet, maybe even like in like the 115 to 120 range. And and again, I hate I hate doing that. I hate being I hate seeing like ifs. They, they make no sense to me. But this I think it applies here because we've seen the problem come up so many times. I feel like I explained that poorly because I wanted to make sure everybody knew that I hate the if uh, talking point. But that's kind of where I stand at this at, the, at this juncture. So there's things I saw that I liked but at the end of the day, this isn't what we expected from this Penn State running game. Uh, five yards a carry is great. It, it's phenomenal. Um, you know, the fact that they ran it 42 times shows they had a commitment to establishing the run in this game, which I wanted to see. So I do like that aspect of it. I, I like the game plan. I guess I more so just didn't love the execution. 
Okay. I, I mean, I my, my my entire thing is that I think there are two the the two backs that we were expecting to be able to be bell cows this season. One is Noah Kane, and I alluded to this a minute or three ago. I think Noah Kane just looks like a guy who I don't know if it's a mental hurdle. I don't know if it's a physical hurdle. I don't know if it's just a matter of he's been banged up the last couple of weeks. And once he gets back to being at full health, he will be fine. Uh, I just don't think he quite looks like the guy that made that basically made Penn State give him carries when he was healthy during his freshman season of uh, 59 carries this year, 187 yards, 3.2 touchdowns, three, uh, 3.2 yards to carry three touchdowns. He is the best guy they have, I think at seeing holes. Uh, and I think that's probably a big part of the issue is that they, when holes open up, that are not the ones you're expecting. Kane is by a mile, the guy who's best at recognizing that he just doesn't quite have the, um, you know, have the explosiveness to be able to plant his foot in the ground, go and get through one of them. Uh, and then the other dude is Kayvon Lee, who he he's getting to a point where I think he's getting a, a little more comfortable. Uh, he's thrown some gloves on after his early fumbling issues. So that's uh, that, that's nice of him. I'm sure he will. That makes me sad. I yeah. get that he had to do it because he fumbled, but watching him run without gloves, uh, especially watching him catch, I don't know why, but watching dudes catch without gloves just looks really funny to me. Um, and I'm sad he had to do it, but it's the right decision. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't fumble in this game, which is really good. Uh, his issue is that I, I it's easy for me to say because I'm a 29-year-old dude who was sitting on a couch watching this and I'm not actually getting hit by football players, but... At 6'2", 239, I think there, there's probably this expectation that he should be a little bit more inviting of contact. Uh, I don't think he um, – I don't think he's always the kind of guy who – and I'm not saying it's uh, he fears getting hit thing. I, like, it legitimately very well might just be he wants to try and make dudes miss and make runs that are supposed to go for three or four yards go for nine or ten. Uh but it seems like he just doesn't quite feel comfortable or he's always a little bit too eager to try and turn nothing into something instead of just taking what's there for him. I mean, there will be times I've noticed where it's him and a linebacker, him and a defensive back, whatever it might be. And instead of just lowering his shoulder and trying to fall forward and pick up an extra yard that way, he just kind of like starts dancing right there and is his own worst enemy. There was a moment on a, third and two, I think. And he might have said after the game that he just wasn't quite certain of the down and distance, uh, the situation that they were in where, you know, he just got totally stonewalled, uh, instead of just running hard and trying to pick up those extra yards. But I think when those are the two guys you're trying to basically build your rushing attack on and then have John Lovett come in as the, uh, kind of the change of pace back, you know, maybe, maybe at some point we'll see more Devin Ford. I don't know. You have that, but the more optimist, like it, it gets a little bit more difficult that way. But the more optimist take is, I think they are pro. They look a little bit more. How do I put this into words? It's not a willingness to let Clifford run the ball, uh, but they seem like they've gone. All right, Sean, we know you're comfortable in the passing element of this offense. 
if they're going to give you acres of space, go and take that with your legs. We trust that you can get there. And with how Clifford's been keeping his eyes down the field this year, I'm perfectly content to see him continue to do that. But I would like to see a little bit more out of the running game, a little bit more consistency out of the running game. I don't think that's going to happen this weekend because Indiana, Iowa is not a team that is going to let you run the football particularly well. And that's going to mean there's going to be a lot of focus on Sean Clifford, um, who 17 for 33, 178 yards, uh, 5.4 yards per attempt, three touchdowns and a pick. The pick was a little concerning. Uh, I think that was basically just a pick that happens sometimes where a defensive back makes an outstanding play, but you still don't want to see that. I also think 17 for 33 for 5.4 yards per carry with 178 yards is he played better than that. And there were just some things that weren't going his way, Matt. Would you agree with that or do you think I'm off base? No, I agree completely. Um, As for the interception, look, it's, Game five, we are 40-odd percent way through the regular season. And that was the first ball we saw Clifford throw, and it actually hurt them. Like, his other two picks were, like, an arm punt, and then, oh, what was the second pick? Was that, was like, a miscommunication or something like that? I forget what it was. Regardless, that was, like, the first pick, I think, that clearly fell on his shoulders. Um, and to make it this far uh, without that, after what we saw last year, is a win. Uh, and he bounced back really well, I thought, and, and, and played a good game after that. Um, and as for, you know, his, his not lackluster, but not that impressive, that probably means the same thing anyway, but the stat line, uh, I think, goes back to they wanted to run the football. That was priority one, two, three, four, five, six was getting guys the football. Um, like Kayvon Lee had eight carries, Clifford had 10, Lovett had 10, Kane had 11, then Warren, Dotson, and Ford all had one. Like, it was very clear the goal was not to make sure Sean Clifford felt comfortable in this game. Um, and I mean that in the sense that, like, he gets in a rhythm and he starts picking dudes apart. Uh, the goal was for him to manage the game and to establish the run game so that way this offense can become the most complete version of itself ahead of it was probably the biggest game of the James Franklin era uh, next week. Um, and that's a big statement, but I don't think it's that far off base. So the b- biggest game of the James Franklin era that did not involve a big 10 championship being on the line, I would say. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'll agree with that. Um, but yeah, like the goal was not to make sure Clifford threw for another 400 yard game. Like he threw for 178 yards and three touchdowns the week after throwing for uh, over 400 and like four scores. So considering what the game plan was, I am fine with the way Clifford played. I think the staff's going to be fine with how things played out. And I just hope that it leads to a more balanced and complete offense in the immediate future. Yeah. I, the, the thing that I mentioned, we did a Twitter spaces after the game last night, uh, which was great. It was very fun. It, it was, was fun. Like, I had a good I, time just listening. If, if Penn State wins against Iowa, we will be sure to do another one. Like I had a good time doing it. it was really if you are listening and you uh, participated in any way, either as a listener or someone hopped on and asked a question. Like thank you for doing that. It was awesome to be able to talk with Penn State fans, be able to get some perspectives that weren't just mine and Matt and Nick and uh, other Matt. Uh, we were we refer to him as worse evil Matt in our evil Matt. Matt. Yes, not uh, not the Matt who was on this podcast, but uh, I think Clifford 
threw it away very like smartly threw it away on several occasions. I don't think that he, um, I don't think he was just trying to live to fight another day when there was something obvious. I think he did. A, he's done a pretty good job all season. But going, listen, the worst thing I can do is try and force one. I'm just going to let it get, let it fly and throw it out of bounds and make sure that we are facing a third and seven instead of a first and 10 for the other football team. So there were a few of those early in the first, at the end of the first quarter, going to give a hat tip to Seth Engel of uh, the daily collegiate football beat. Uh, Parker Washington dropped four passes, uh, including one that on the very next play was the throw that Clifford got picked off on. You look at his stat line, Washington, two catches, 30 yards. You look at Andre Lambert-Smith's stat line, two catches, 25 yards. We expect them to be a little bit better. Uh, I think both of them are obviously capable of being a little bit better. But you put – like, I don't think Clifford was throwing them bad passes. I think they were just having a hard time throw, holding on to it. So you look at that stuff, and there goes, you know, between those drops by Washington and, you know, two or three throwaways. That's – six or seven passes that could have been completions or basically just not hurting Penn state in any way. This game looks considerably different. If Sean Clifford and Dotson was pushed on the pick, I thought, yeah. I thought not to, I, I not to ref, pick apart refs because they were pretty yeah. good. I thought, but Dotson was pushed. Yeah. But you look at that stuff, you look at the fact and something that I found interesting as I went back and looked is one thing we've heard James Franklin say a not insignificant amount is that, Penn State views little screen passes, those little flare-outs to Lambert Smith, uh, to Dotton, to Washington with blockers in front of them. It was an extension of the run game, and I don't think we I, – I might be wrong here. I don't think we saw a ton of those, and I think that lends itself to they were putting an emphasis on when we need to run the ball, we are actually going to run the football. Uh, so there's that stuff. There's the fact that, like – you know, I just think Clifford was okay. I thought he was, he didn't do anything to necessarily hurt the team. And considering the last few years of Sean Franklin, that's what you want. I think Indiana's defense, while they miss star cornerback uh, Taiwan Mullen, which is just, that is heartbreaking to not have him. Uh, Reese Taylor ended up going out at one point. Uh, Raheem Lane, who picked off uh, Clifford, ended up, having to go out at one point, despite the fact that they were missing some dudes, you go back and look and Indiana was doing a lot of just dropping everyone back in zone, trying to take away any little space for Penn state to throw into. They were rushing with three or four guys, bringing one or two linebackers on delayed blitz. It's just a lot of stuff that was designed to lead to havoc plays. And they didn't sack Clifford once. They only had, uh, three QB hurries all by Micah McFadden, who is just an outstanding football player, a linebacker. They only had one interception. They weren't necessarily creating the kinds of plays that are catastrophic. So I think Penn State probably went into this one with an expectation that they weren't going to try to, I don't want to say try to blow the doors off of them, but we know we can get by with using this game as let's get the running game going. When Cl- one thing that Clifford did do really well, he kept his eyes down the field a lot. 
uh, and it led to uh, that touchdown to Brenton Strange, uh, one of the touchdowns to Jahan Dotson. A lot of his runs were just from keeping his eyes down the field, seeing that there was nothing, being able to avoid pressure, and then just taking off. So I thought this wasn't the kind of game from Sean Clifford where he's going to like write his name in ink on Heisman ballots, Matt. But I thought it was the kind of game from Sean Clifford where it was, we're just going to go out there and play a really good, really solid, really reliably sound football game. And I thought he managed to do that. And as a result, the entire offense managed to do that. Yeah, I'm going to touch on something that I brought up in um, the roundtable this week uh, in the questions that we were asked. Uh, Against Auburn, what position group would you say starred for the offense? Against Auburn, I would probably say, I mean, if you're talking about a position group, I'm always kind of hesitant to say quarterback, but it would it would be quarterback or if you're going for a whole group, wide receivers. Okay, I was going to say tight ends. I would, That's fair. Because that was the Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, Tyler Warren game. Very fair. Uh, and then I think against Villanova, I think the star was clearly the wide receivers. Washington had two scores. Keandre Lambert-Smith had his first score. I think Dotson, yeah, Dotson had at least one score. Uh, so they were the star of that game. And I think in this one, the star was clearly the running backs, uh, especially Kayvon Lee and John Lovett. So the fact that in three games in a row, I can sit here and confidently say a different position group, not even a different dude, but an entirely different position group, like multiple people at that position starred and were the focal point of the focal point of the offense is fantastic. That's something I haven't been able to say for a long, long, long time. Like Yursich is finding ways to get different groups involved. And all it's going to do is add more things on tape that opposing defenses have to prepare for, give more guys more confidence and give the staff more confidence that they can do all these different things. Like it's just insane to me that we're at this point where multiple position groups and multiple guys in those position groups are being productive. And I think that's just a really great roster management by this team. I think it sets the group up. I think gives Clifford a lot of confidence in the pieces around him And I'm thrilled to see what the next uh, group to step up is. If it's receivers again against Iowa, it might have to be because the run defense is really good. Or, you know, this week, the tight ends put up, I want to say, two combined catches between all of them. Uh, Yeah, Theo Johnson, one catch, 20 yards, which he made a move in that, that no tight end should be allowed to make. He's ridiculously good. And then Brenton Strange, one touchdown on, on more or less a broken play that Clifford just kept his eyes downfield. Like, that wasn't part of the game plan this week, and that's fine because they still got the job done. So just hats off to Mike Yurcich, hats off to um, Ty Howell, Stubblefield, Cider, all those guys. That's just a, a great spot to be in that every single coach and his position group and those guys get to star at different times this season. That's really fun. So let's hand out some game balls, Matt, one for the offense, one for the defense. Uh, who is getting your offensive game ball? You give your offense, I'll give my offense, I'll give my defense, you give your defense. Um, I got to give it to Jahan. He's so good. He he is quickly like working up my rankings for best Penn State receiver uh, of my lifetime. He's he's up there. I think he's past KJ. Um, I love KJ, but only got two years of KJ. Um, I think he's past Deshaun, uh, and he's pushing Godwin for me. 
Um, so it's like it's Jahan, Allen Robinson, Chris Godwin right now are my top three. And we still have more than half a season of Jahan left. So I'm so excited to see where he where he ends up in, in my own personal rankings there. Yeah, it has to be Dotson, man. I mean, he's the th- Mel Kuyper this week named him the number one wide receiver and number eight player on his big board for this upcoming draft. And I think that's something that can come off as a little high. Uh, you touched on a lot of the notes with him, so I- I'm going to focus on this. But I think when you look at Jahan Dotson, you see a wide receiver, you know, we're trying to figure out like, oh, why would he be such a high pick in the NFL draft? It's because the stuff that he does in college is stuff that is very translatable. He is an excellent route runner. He doesn't catch passes that are thrown. That he doesn't drop passes that are thrown his way. He, if he has to get, you know, really tough, really physical, he's willing to do that. It, whatever he is asked to do, he does that. And then I, my hunch is that once we see him put on testing numbers and do something like go through field drills at the combine. Everything looks so easy for him that I don't think we realize just how good this dude is. So I think you have also to- he's a hands yeah. he's a hands catching receiver, which is a great skill to have. He catches everything with his hands. Oh yeah, that that man like dude's got some paws. Like it's like like I'm going to assume those things are like 13 inches big, like just size of a frying pan. Like dude's got the big show's hands. He's it's impressive. Uh, moving to the other side of the football for me, I'm going to give it to PJ Muscifer. I thought he had himself a really good football game. I thought he did a good job pushing around uh, the interior of Indiana's uh, offensive line, which, you know, not the easiest thing to do that's, their offensive line left to right is uh, senior, redshirt, sophomore, graduate, senior, junior, redshirt, senior. So it's a group that is not used to being manhandled. And I think that Mustafer has done such a good job all year winning up front that he deserves it for this one. What about you? That's a really good one. I didn't even think about PJ. Um Oh, man. Joey Porter Jr. played really great. Happy for him. Uh, Ellis Brookshive always. Um, but I'm going to give it to Arnold Ebichetti just because uh, we alluded to it, but we haven't talked about uh, the fact that he got a sack on a three-man rush when Indiana had six players in pass protection. Uh, that's stupid good. He is absolutely outstanding. So game ball to him uh, for that play alone. That play was might have been my favorite defensive play of the year so far. That was impossibly yeah. good by him Th- that was there uh, for me. that was the one where that was Tuttle's first play of the game it was uh it was some sort of third and long I don't give me one second I have it it definitely was third and, and I know they were in they were um in six uh protection and it was a three-man rush which is a huge testament to the other guys around him yeah it was it was a third and, and six I was gonna say it was a, a third and 16 Tuttle drops back doesn't even consider stepping up in the pocket. Like, doesn't even consider getting out of the pocket. He just steps up in the pocket, and by then, Ebiketti, like, plants his left foot and has gotten around the tackle, and, you know, it was just a free shot at him. But, yeah, sorry, what were you, uh, what were you saying? 
No, uh, just major shout out to the secondary too for stepping up and, and making that possible. Yeah, if you if you're a quarterback and you have six man protection, you should not be worried about getting hit in the pocket. And AK still made that happen. So yeah, he rules. Very happy for him, and I hope he does that to Spencer Petrus next week. That leads really nicely into what we're going to do here. We're not obviously we're going to have plenty of Indi- uh, Iowa content on the blog in the coming uh, days. We're going to have. Uh, podcast with our pals over at Go Iowa Awesome. Uh, but Matt, Penn State's walking into a very hostile environment. Iowa jumped them in the rankings this week, number three in AP poll. Uh, they are currently 15th in SP plus, 72nd in offense, fourth in defense, eighth in special teams, coming off of an absolute beatdown of Maryland on Friday night in college stage. Uh, which one are they? College Park, 51 to 14. They've beaten down Indiana this year. Uh, they only won 27-17 against Iowa State, but it was a little more comfortable than that final score, I think. Uh, what are just before we do the more in-depth stuff later in the week? What are just kind of your broad thoughts on this Iowa team that Penn State's going to be taking on on Saturday? In our uh, preseason record prediction, I said this would be a loss uh, for Penn State. And as things stand right now, I still feel that way. Uh, I've always said this team is a loss in there somewhere. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't love um, that Iowa has an extra day to prepare. I don't love that at all. I don't love that Penn State played at night uh, this past week. I think Franklin said before he likes earlier kicks better because you can kind of put the game behind you quicker. Um so those are outside. That's not going to cost Penn State the game or anything. But still, things I think about the Sunday before uh, a game. Um, I think Iowa knows what they are. I think this was what I went back to during the the preseason about if I'm more concerned about Wisconsin or Iowa. I don't think Wisconsin still has any idea what they have or, or who they are. They can't run. Graham Mertz can't pass. They have no idea what they do. Iowa knows what they do. They play good defense and they run the ball. And Spencer Petras just throws it four yards at a time, which is fine. It's working so far. So that makes me a bit concerned. Uh, I hate going to Kinnick. It's been fun the past few times they went there, but it's still absolutely terrifying. Um, I, I think Iowa has played down to some opponents, but I think they showed on Friday night what they look like when they play up, and that was very scary. So I hope as I as I prepare more for the week and as I watch more film and read more great content across the interwebs that I feel better. But as of right now, I, I don't feel great about this. I think the line has moved now to Iowa is about a two-and-a-half-point favorite. That feels right. Um, so we'll have to wait and see and see kind of what Penn State has in their bag of tricks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this Iowa defense is unreal. I mean, they, they fly around. They're so well coached. It's so hard to knock them off of their game. They're outstanding uh, at forcing turnovers. I don't have the number uh, up in front of you right now. Uh, give, me, give me one second. They're third uh, in college football uh, in points allowed, 11.6 points per game. Even I think you can argue they haven't exactly gone up against um, – units that are going to go out there and put on shows. I, I don't have it in front of me. I would guess that they are in the top 10 nationally in turnover margin. Uh, just because the way, like even before they, you know, put Talia Tagovailoa in hell last week, the way that they go out there and are able to force you to make mistakes is really impressive. I'm interested in them playing a game 
where the other team doesn't make those sorts of mistakes. And I think that's where Penn State can make this one interesting. Um, but what what's that do you want, Bill? Turnover margin? Uh, yeah, turnover margin. They're plus, they're plus 12. Margin. Plus 12. Are they first in the country? Yeah. Doesn't surprise me. They average, so, two, they, they average 2.4 turnovers a game that they force. Yeah, it sounds about right. And they recovered the, four fumbles and picked off 12 passes. Yeah, oh the God. interceptions is going to be the big one, I imagine. But then you look at the other side of the football, and Spencer Petrus has been okay this season. He's, he's been good enough this season. I think that's the best way of putting it. He hasn't lit the world on fire, uh, but completing 62% of his passes, uh, a little tick under seven yards per uh, attempt, seven touchdowns, one interception. Their passing game is very much built around uh, their tight end, Sam Laporta, and their running back, Tyler Goodson, who is a fantastic football player. But I do think if Penn State can slow Goodson down a bit, uh, through the air, on the ground, they're not getting gashed by him. I think they have a shot to win this game so long as they do that and they don't turn the ball over. Uh, but like we mentioned, we're going to be talking a lot about that game Uh talking writing about that game a lot in the coming days and weeks uh so there's that we'll i don't think we need to talk about iowa maryland because there's not much to talk about that we did it, kind of just, it happened maryland it happened. please play more please play more friday night games please maryland very play more friday night games it doesn't go well for you guys uh so let's go to, around the rest of the big 10 starting uh ohio state 52 rutgers 13 uh I had a feeling, Matt, that Ohio State was going to lay the smackdown. I thought C.J. Stroud was going to come out and have a big game, but I was still very impressed uh, by what we saw out of the Buckeyes this week. Yeah, I'm the idiot who picked Rutgers outright. Um, what a moron. Uh, yeah, Ohio State looks like they have woken up. I think um, moving C.J. Stroud to the bench for a week was great. I think sometimes you have to do that for a young quarterback because he looked great. Uh, and I think it was uh, Richard Johnson on the Split Zone Duo podcast. I feel like I hate them up a lot. They're really good. Um, but he was talking about how it felt like they dusted off the old Dwayne Haskins playbook and it worked out really well. Um, and I don't think Rutgers is a pushover anymore. So it's not even like I can just point to the fact that, oh, it was Rutgers. Uh, good win. Very impressive win. Ohio State looks like they're working their way back, uh, which is terrifying. I, I think I agree with that. I mean, I think that there's plenty of time for Ohio State to, uh, I don't want to say get things on track, but, you know, by the time Penn State comes to town, I think we're going to see a markedly different Ohio State team than the one that lost to Oregon. But we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Next up, Michigan heading in to Camp Randall, 38-17. to 17. Um, That's a really good defense that Michigan ha- has, man. Uh, they had Graham Mertz in hell. Wisconsin could not run the football. I'm, I'm not really saying anything that would stun anyone, but – Wisconsin gave them the football three times. Michigan only gained 365 yards of total offense, but this is a, uh, an, I would say, an impressively efficient offense when they have opportunities to do things. Uh, Michigan's offense uh, runs like it's 2003, which is very boring, but very fun that a school with the athletes like Michigan uh, runs that offense uh, is pretty ridiculous. Um, also, Jim Leonard, uh, please leave Wisconsin. Uh, Paul Christ is just going to hold you back on your coaching trajectory. Uh, you're a great defensive coach. Go get a head coaching job at the G5 level and maybe go back there one day and bring with you a, a better OC. See, I don't even know if that's the case, man. Like, I feel like if Jim Leonard takes a Notre Dame 
defensive coordinator job when Marcus Freeman goes and gets a head coaching game. I feel like if he goes to one of those elite programs and gets to coach up the defense there, I think we see some really impressive stuff out of him. But uh, yeah, this was. But we're seeing it now, though. Like that's the crazy. Jim Leonard can be six. Like he's being held back by Paul Christmas offense. The the point totals are kind are are very deceptive because they're so frequently uh, happening because of just poor offense out of Wisconsin. Yeah, it's terrible. Like Wisconsin can't do anything on offense. They can't run. They can't throw. Like they can't. They're not blocking great for a program that always has dominant offensive linemen. Like this feels like mm-hmm. it could go into a tailspin quick because at the end of the day, Wisconsin could always count on running the football, and they can't do that. And I have no idea what Plan B is if you're Wisconsin. So I'm curious to watch how this thing shakes out because it, it could get ugly quick. Heading to East Lansing, Michigan State 41, 48, Western Kentucky 31. Really impressive. Speaking of ugly. By, <laughs> impressive performance by Michigan State's offense. Uh, Peyton Thorne, 20 for 30, 327 yards. Kenneth Walker on the ground, 24, 126, three touchdowns. Not a great performance by the Spartan defense. Uh, think of where we are in this season, Matt. Do you like have a strong read on Michigan state. Cause I still feel like considering who they have played this season, it's not quite like I could see things still managing to go sideways for them. Once they start getting into that back half of their schedule and they have Michigan, Ohio state and Penn state. Oh, look, credit where credit's due. They have two big 10 wins. Absolutely. Um, you know, they're, they're playing well. I, I honestly did not think they'd win five games all year. Um, so great job by Mel Tucker. Um, but I have no idea if this can hold up. Um, it's very, this feels like an eight, an eight and four team, which if you told me that at the beginning of the year, I probably would have called you a liar. So that's just a phenomenal job by Mel Tucker. Um, they have a great offense. They have a great running game. Um, but I don't know how well that's going to hold up. It feels like they're going to voodoo somebody and I just hope it's not Penn state. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think I'm, uh, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, they, they're going to, that Michigan game, Matt, that's in East Lansing. I, I, I might go to that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's after Michigan state's by, uh, although, after, uh, Ole Miss, Ole Miss, Ole Miss showed us this week that having a buy does not necessarily mean you prepared well. So we'll have to wait yeah. and see. <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on, Illinois beat Charlotte 24-14. I'm upset. I wanted Charlotte to win this football game. Uh, Chase Brown, really nice performance on the ground for the Illini, 26-257-2. Uh, listen, good for Illinois, I guess. I think I very much think that's a program where they're going to take wins wherever they can get them and they should celebrate it. Yep. Um, I think Burt is trying to lay the groundwork for what he wants to do. Uh, and in year one, uh, two or three wins is a great place to start. So good for good for Illinois. Go Illini. Yeah, I mean, I think we know that they can be uh, they can be the kind of team that wins a decent amount of football games. But that's just such an unenviable rebuilding job, I would say, that they're going to have to like be willing to get pushed around for a little bit while Burt gets his players in and gets his system in and that sort of thing. Is that, you think that's fair? Uh, hold on. I'm trying to find, I think, um, 
Illinois plays Wisconsin this week, and I'm trying to find the over-under because it's got to be like four. Um, but yeah, it's not what you said. I think once once Brett's able to get in there and, and really clear house, uh, a la what Jeff Collins is trying to do at Georgia Tech, uh, this could be a, a plucky program with a ceiling of like eight wins. And for, you know, the majority of Illinois' existence as a football program, that's that's those are the good times when they're like right. that. So hopefully exactly. they can make it there at some point. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. Uh, Minnesota 20, Purdue 13. Uh, I still think Minnesota kind of stinks, Matt, but, you know, good for them, I guess. Any, do you, is there a single thought that you have in your head about the football game that happened between those two teams? Uh, Purdue uh, head coach Jeff Brom should have taken the Louisville job when it was offered to him because uh, Purdue should not have lost that game. That's a bummer. Yeah, I guess. Uh, you want to talk about bummers, uh, Northwestern. 56 to 7, they lost to the Nebraska Cornhuskers in Lincoln. Congrats, Nebraska, to someone in the Big Ten finally being nice to you. I hope you got exactly what you wanted. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? As I'm saying that, my dog is looking at me and thinking he's going to get a treat. Uh, Adrian Martinez, nice performance. They ran for seven touchdowns. Northwestern just got nothing. Like, it's. Are you impressed by Nebraska and what they did in this game or in any game where they've looked better, Matt? Or do you think this is just like, oh, boy, things are real bleak up in Evanston? Look, it's year four of Scott Frost, so moral victories are few and far between. But considering where the season could have gone after losing to a horrible Illinois team in week zero, uh, it's it's an impressive job that they're rallying the troops and that they're playing uh, pretty well. And they played Michigan State pretty well, which is going to look more impressive, I think, as the season wears on. Uh, so good for Scott Frost. Uh, I hope you keep your job and go to like the Big 12 or wherever it is Nebraska fans want to go. Yeah. What a round. God, I just I just do not like that program. Uh, any any final things, Matt, before I wrap up this edition of the pod? Am I losing in my mind, does Illinois not play Wisconsin this week? I can't find an over-under, and I want to see if it's under 40. Uh, this week, this great audio they, they pl- no, they do play this week. What the? I can't find an over-under anywhere. Do you want to do the sign-off, and I'll keep on looking for this stuff? Yeah, but by all means, uh, I'm, I'm sure you'll find it soon enough. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of the podcast. As always, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast wherever you go to get your podcast. If you use Apple Podcasts, it'd really help if you leave us a five-star review. Uh, please keep reading the site, supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you are buying some shirts. Uh, and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. Uh, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we did a Twitter space after the game. It was really fun. Hope to be able to do more of those after Penn State wins this season. Make sure you're following us on Facebook and Instagram. Head over to YouTube. Make sure you're subscribed to us there. Anything to get us, get you in our universe so we can continue to make Penn State content for y'all. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Royal Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Okay, I couldn't find uh, the over-under, but I did find a spread um, from this really nice-looking website. It has Illinois plus eight and a half. Uh, I'm not confident either team will score eight.